In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, the Bible says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Welcome to Made New. Today we begin a brand new series focused on the church. Jesus is at the center of his church and he sets people, you and me as members, into his body as he sees fit. That's why a look at what it means to be made new has to include a look at Jesus' bride, the city set on a hill, the church. This week we'll focus on the what of the church. In the following weeks we'll dive into the how of church as well. Let's start with how Jesus feels about his church. Now in Ephesians 5.25, the Bible says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus loves his church and empowers us to be a part of it and to live in it. In fact, the clash of of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdoms of this world and our own flesh are played out most directly in in the church as Jesus graciously, patiently, and faithfully leads us into paths of righteousness. The world we live in is opposed to God, just as we once were. And since the church is a gathering of people that have been submitted to the lordship of Jesus, there is a natural and supernatural conflict. Again, let's look at some of the scriptures that outline how Jesus relates to his church. First thing I'd like to point out is that Jesus builds his church. In Matthew 16:18, the Bible says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus commissioned his church. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, them being his disciples, by the way, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promised power to his church. In speaking to his disciples in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus adds to his church. He saves people. He adds them. And when they say they're added to his church, in Acts 2, 42 and 43, it says, So then those who received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It's also important to note that Jesus is worshipped by his church. In Acts 2, 44 and 46, it says, And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, not just worshipping in a meeting, but worshipping as part of a life. Jesus is witnessed by his church, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's in Acts 2.47. This continual life of worship plays out as a witness for the world to see, and 
having favor with people and the Lord adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved, that's because the church was a witness to the power of God and the person of Jesus Christ. Now, these first church members were awed by the miraculous power of God, and they shared their possessions with anyone who had need. They had favor with all the people in Jerusalem, and more and more people joined them. What amazing! What an amazing experience these people had as the church began. People all around Jerusalem saw the power of God at work and wanted to share in His grace. Furthermore, the first believers loved God and each other as demonstrated by their humble service and their generous sharing. This is what the church should be. Unfortunately, perceptions of church from the world looking in oftentimes don't don't match that. They're often a negative perception out there because they're looking at it saying the church doesn't look like that today. But as we found out uh, in previous times when we talked about Made New, we look at the scriptures for our definitions, not our experiences or our observations or other people's perceptions. We look at the Bible for how we should live and how we should walk. People are quite interested in spiritual things or spirituality, but they see the church as being very unlike Jesus and the way they understand Jesus to be. And often even their understanding of Jesus because of the darkness that's in their own hearts, they don't even understand who Jesus is. They understand a caricature of him. They understand him as a good teacher or as maybe a prophet of some kind, but they don't understand him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. To them, though, the church is pretty much irrelevant because spirituality is a very personal thing that doesn't require leaders or buildings or programs. Now, what happened that brought us from that dynamic of Acts 2 to this kind of irrelevance that can come can sneak into the way people look at the church today? Honestly, part of it's just bad press. In the media or in conversations, we only report or talk about the most scandalous of church activities oftentimes, while faithful Christians and churches, they're just not well known because it's not that sensational. Still a bigger issue for some churches, they become ingrown and they just kind of focus on what's happening in the four walls of the church. And they look at an institution or a program, etc., as opposed to devoting themselves to this acts to uh, model or narrative. So the answer is simple either way. The answer for what we do next is very simple. We look with humility and we look continually to the scriptures to rekindle the love of God the Father, the life of God the Son, and the leading of God the Spirit in order that we may, we may be the church for the sake of the world and for the glory of God. So we're going to dive into a little bit more of this Acts 2.42 passage and figure out a little and lift from that some basic elements of church and what a definition of the church is. But before we do, I'd like to explain a little bit about what the church is not. So here's some bad or but common definitions of what the church is. The church is not a holy building hosting spiritual experiences and rituals. The church isn't a Eucharistic society through which God dispenses grace with sacraments and authorized and empowered hierarchies with bishops and priests operating in an unbroken succession from the apostles. The church is not a moral police force in society enacting legislative solutions to spiritual and natural problems. The church is not a weekly meeting where people gather to do spiritual things. 
the best definition from the church, we've already actually read that. And that's out of Acts 2, 42 and 47. Now, I'll rephrase some of that because I find it a little bit helpful to lift out some big ideas that are there. And so before I do, I want to explain one other thing. And that is there's when we talk about the church, there's the universal church, which is all believers all t- in all times, from all places, all Christians, all everyone. That's everyone who's ever been and ever will be saved. They're part of the universal church. But what we're talking about today is more the local church, which is smaller gatherings of that universal church where Christians assemble as God's family. In fact, the word for church in the Greek New Testament is, is, is ecclesia, which means gathering or meeting or assembly. So, If we look at the definition from Acts 2 about what the church is, here's a helpful way to look at what the local church is. The local church is a family of regenerated believers who confessed Christ as Lord. In obedience to scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and worship. They observe biblical sacraments of baptism and communion. They're unified by the Spirit, are disciplined for holiness, scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries into the world for God's glory and their joy. It's kind of a long definition, but it's a summary of those Acts 2, 42, and 47 uh, verses. So as we look at the definition of the church summarized from Acts 2, we can identify eight key characteristics of the local church. First, the church is made up of regenerated believers. What that means is the Spirit dwells in them, and He has given them new hearts. He's made them new. The church is a fellowship of true disciples who are devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers, and attending meetings together and fellowshipping in their homes with glad and generous hearts. There's unbelievers and outsiders who participate in the activity of the church and have an important place in that extended community. Likewise, children are to be welcomed into the church, to be loved and served so that they would become Christians with saving faith and later become church members. But the church itself, the body of Christ, is made up of confessing believers who are justified by faith and made new by the Spirit. It's a community, a family manifesting the supernatural life of God. Number two, the church is organized under qualified and competent leadership. The senior or primary human leaders are men called elders. In Acts 2, we see them exercising their unique role of teaching the whole church. They led the congregation in wise decision-making about potentially divisive problems. They sent Peter and John to Samaria to confirm the authenticity of the evangelistic outbreak there. We also see the appointment of elders in Acts 14.23. In the next chapter, they practice their leadership in a doctrinal dispute with a party of the Pharisees in Jerusalem. The Bible also describes leadership of deacons or ministry teams that were led by both men and women. Number three, the church regularly gathers to hear God's word rightly preached and to respond in worship. The church is under the apostolic authority of scripture. In Acts, you see people eagerly devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles, not because they had to, but because their regenerated hearts wanted to. They had received the Spirit, been seen remarkable miracles, and witnessed an evangelistic event that was history-altering. But they refused a simple experience-based Christianity. As disciples, they were keenly aware of their need for continually increasing their understanding of the Scriptures, so they studied not just for information, but also for transformation in all of their life. That's why it's so important that the church 
devote themselves to the scriptures. Worship is a response to the revelation of the Lord for who he is, what he has done, and what he will do. Worship can be adoration and proclamation of the greatness of God uh, uh, and his mighty works. It can be action and should be action, which is serving him by living out his character and gracious service to others in obedience to the commands of scripture. It's also to doing work in the name of Jesus as well. It's this life of worship that continually happens. So again, the church is under apostolic authority of scripture, devoted to the scriptures, but also devoted to worship. The church is also where the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion are performed regularly as visible signs and symbols of the gospel in the life of the church. Number five, the church is unified by the confession and shared life of Christ through the Holy Spirit. It's manifests in a variety of ways from theological unity and relational unity, which which means you don't have to that it doesn't mean that you're best friends with everyone but it means you handle everyone with love and you demonstrate it by being cordial respectful friendly and kind in your interactions just as jesus is there's philosophical unity that uh, characterizes ministry style and methods that's in a local church there has to be philosophical unity there's also mission unity missional unity the idea that we're on this earth for a purpose, and even as a local church, we're on the earth for a purpose that's specific to us. There's also organizational unity, which is based on how things are done in the church. You know, that's from things like job descriptions or or financial practices, etc. There should be organizational unity in the church, and the church should be disciplined for holiness. The heart of discipline is discipleship. There needs to be discipleship in the church, and leaders use scripture to teach, correct, train, equip Christians to be a holy people who continually grow in Christ-likeness. The church should be disciplined for holiness. The church obeys the great commandment to love. The church is supposed to be a spirit-empowered, loving family that devotes itself to fellowship. As that life works out in, in the local context of a local church, love is the continual thread that, that weaves its way throughout that life. We love God first, most, and best. We, we love our families. We conduct ourselves in a way where we honor and respectful, uh, in, in, in such a way that's honor and respectful, so that even uh, our church leaders find it a joy to pastor us. We love fellow Christians. We love our neighbors, even if our neighbor is, in a, is a difficult person. We love strangers. We even love our enemies. Love is the thing. Love is the thread that wo- is woven continually through the life of the local church. And finally, the church obeys the great commission to evangelize and make disciples. If we are part of the church, if we're part of Christ's body, we are part of his mission in the earth, being sent into the earth to become salt and light so that people can encounter God. And uh, it's so important that we remember that the church isn't built for us. The church belongs to Jesus we belong to Jesus. He sets people in churches as he sees fit. And we walk with him. And as we walk with him, we walk with him on his mission as well. Now, these eight characteristics that we talked through give us a timely timely and timeless biblical principles that really, they're unchanging. These are elements straight from the word of God that describe what the church is and kind of invites us in to be able to walk together as the family of God.
So one more time before we go, we'll read that definition, that what I hope is a helpful definition of what the church is. And then I would encourage you to take some time and read Acts 1 and 2 this week and talk with your friends, talk with your family about what the church is. Dream a bit about what the church looked like in the book of Acts and then submit our lives to God in such a way where he can make us new and make us new together. So one more time, that definition, the local church is a family of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and worship. They observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion. They're unified by the spirit, disciplined for holiness, and scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries in the world for God's glory and their joy. You, if you are part of the body of Christ, you are part of the church, and you are so important to God's work in the earth as part of his body. I hope this has been helpful. Enjoy the time talking about the scriptures and talking about what it means to be made new and be set into and be part of God's church.